0: Last week, uh, Dr. Chris Green was here with us and, and had a very tremendous message on um, the Trinity. It was Trinity Sunday, and he talked about uh, this beautiful thing about, um, it's really a mystery, but what has been happening between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit since the beginning of time. And the thing that stood out to me was that there's been this giving and receiving relationship among the Godhead. Um, for, um, well, since the beginning of time, and there was so much power that was happening in that, in this giving and receiving, the, the Son giving to the Father, and the Father giving to the Son, and the Holy Spirit responding and supporting, that it was so wonderful that they wanted others to get in on this, And so that was really the heart behind creation, which is that's where we came in, that they really had us in mind to create us so that we can step into this giving and receiving relationship, giving and receiving with them, also giving and receiving to each other. And I thought it was a really profound message and um, something that that, uh, was very significant. I think the reality of this is expressed to us in the person of Jesus. And that's what we've talked about over and over again, that it is this life, this life of Jesus, that we see how all of this really works. Uh, Colossians 2.9 says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Um, so you're getting that? For in Christ all the fullness of the deity, so the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the fullness of all of that, lives in bodily form. So that's why we talk about Jesus so much, because we believe that this life shows us what living in the kingdom of the trying God looks like. This this is how we should form our life uh, after. So everything that we do around here in our community is based on this. It's based on what we have seen Jesus uh, do through the Scripture. It's what we believe that is in His nature to do. You all responded the last couple of weeks and gave almost $4,000 to the medical outreach in Guatemala this summer so that we can buy medications to take on that trip. It's awesome. Give yourself a hand for that. That is the nature of God. It's giving beyond yourself. It's considering others um, outside of yourself. Uh, You're bringing boatloads of stuff for the the victims of the tornado and those that are going through this trauma in their life, and you're bringing wonderful things here. And as a matter of fact, many of you have asked, some of you have wanted to get your hands involved in this and actually want to go physically help and and support those. Uh, Those and more are still suggesting that we kind of hold off there, but we have some in our own backyard now. We've gotten word from those that have been impacted over here in Broken Arrow. You know, we had one drop over there in Broken Arrow and damaged several homes. And and they are actually calling for those that can actually come and physically help. It's simply picking up lumber and carrying it to the dumpster, and and they're going to be in need for the next five days, actually starting this afternoon. And so if you're interested in that, uh, just go out to the desk afterwards. Um, Sue will have the information, the phone number that you can contact there. And if you actually want to get involved in that, that's, again, the nature of Jesus and what it's about. And it's why we don't have any qualms asking you to also volunteer to come tonight at six o'clock and and consider how you can help particularly during the summer. We We have a need here. And because we believe that as you do those kinds of things, as you do things that are in the nature of Jesus, that you actually become more formed into his likeness, that that's how we become more like him. And by the way, if you are a young person and you're thinking that, well, you know, there's quite a few old people in the church. I bet they've got plenty of time to do this. Um... Or if you're an older person and you're thinking, well, gosh, I've been there, I've done that, and, you know, it's time for the young people to step up. If that's what you're thinking, it's not working, okay? (laughs) Because everybody's sitting there waiting on the, you know, they talk about the way, the fastest way to starve a dog is to tell two people to feed it. Um, And then neither one of them will do it, thinking the other one's going to do it. Well, that's kind of what's happening here. We need as many of you that can jump in on this and think about maybe an hour a month or two hours a month, one service or two services a month that you could step in and do that. But again, we don't. We don't have any qualms asking you that because we think it's a good thing. We think that's what this life is all about. It's about becoming more like him and and taking on his image um, into the world. And so today we're going to look at at an interaction that Jesus had with a biblical scholar at the time, a religious leader at the time, that was actually trying to test him. And so let's look at... um, what the nature of Jesus is like. Luke 10, if you have your Bible with you, you can look on the screen or look on your phone. I'm sure everybody that's looking on their phone during the service is, of course, looking at the Scripture, uh, not looking at anything else. Um, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, to better understand this, I think it's always helpful to understand the audience uh, to whom Jesus was talking to. In his life and teachings, he basically was talking to two to, um, extremes, um, groups, groups of people. On one hand, it was the religious. On the other hand, it was the il- irreligious. On the one hand, it was the saints. On the other hand, it was the sinners. Priests and prostitutes. Those were the two main um, groups that he um, is writing to and, and teaching. I always think it's interesting which one of those um, actually was drawn to Jesus and actually liked to hang out with Jesus. It wasn't the religious leaders, was it? Uh, It was those that were in trouble, those that were in great need in their life, were the ones that felt drawn and compelled um, to hang out with him. As a matter of fact, the religious people couldn't really stand him. And so one way of thinking about these two groups is thinking about two different worldviews that were going on at the time. One of those, would, we would call it pleasure-seeking. The whole idea was eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Whatever I can do to feel good today or whatever I can do to, to even numb myself that I don't even have to, I don't have to feel the bad things, whatever that is, that's what I want to do. And so they would go about that. And even if I hurt somebody else, didn't matter so much because it's really all about taking care of me. And the other end of the continuum would be the moralist. Uh, these folks have a group of rules that they are to follow. If you follow these rules, then life will go well. It also is a way that they differentiate between who's out and who's in. If you follow the rules, then you're in. We welcome you in. We accept you. You're like us because you're following the rules like we are. If you're not following the rules, then you're out, and we need to separate ourselves from you and actually, actually shun you. Um, the these folks tend to ultimately um, be angry and are prone to disillusionment because they operate under this kind of unwritten relationship with God. That God, I will follow the rules. I will do this and this and this, and then you will do this. So I will go to church. I will give. I'll even, heck, I'll even show up to the summer serve thing, you know, on on Sunday night, because then you will bless me. You will give me a good life. You'll give me good relationships. You'll give me a a good family. It's a very nice and neat package, it's very formulaic. A plus B always equals C. Now, it works fine until they face difficulty, they go through a bad stretch. And all of a sudden, the formula isn't working, and they become disillusioned. And wait a second, God, I, I did all of this stuff, and now something bad. I, let, I was let go at my job. Or God, I've always done right. I've never used drugs. I've never done these bad things, and yet I got sick. Why? I spent 30 years in this town actually dealing with the fallout of those. We live in a very formulate culture, spiritual climate uh, in this region. It's very much one plus two always equals three. If I do this and say this and act this way, then this will always happen. But inevitably, as the scripture says, in this life we will face trouble. And so, once people start facing trouble, then the fallout happens, and they start questioning God and why did this happen, and are you even there, and or even certainly questioning themselves, and and they get themselves in a mess. These also these people also get very angry with other people that are not following the rules but get blessed. This is not fair. Um, I've been following the rules, and I didn't get that that they got, and they're getting it, and they're bad, and they've not followed the rules, and they get very, very angry at that. So the, um, we, see this, we see this worldview a lot throughout Scripture. One of the places it really shows up in is in the prodigal son story. We had the pleasure-seeking son, right, saying, Dad, I don't really care about you. I don't care that this is going to taint your reputation. I just want my money. I want my inheritance now because I want to go live. I want to go do whatever I want to do. And he went and, and into the uh, eat, drink, and be merry lifestyle, and you know the story. He ended up running, blowing through everything, ended up in a pig pen, and came to the realization that, gosh, even my father's servants live a life better than this. So I'll go back wondering, maybe I can just beg mercy from dad. And of course, we know the story where he was given this great grace from his father. um, But he ran into his moralistic brother and said, dad, this is not fair. You don't throw these kind of parties for me. And I'm the rule follower. I've been doing the right thing. I've been following the rules. and I don't get this kind of blessing. And here he is not following the rules and gets this great party again, angry, frustrated, disillusioned. So this Luke 10 section here that we're looking at speaks directly to the moralist. Uh, Jesus knows that this lawyer was uh, a moralist. Um, Now, lawyers in that day aren't similar to the lawyers that we have today in the legal field. They really were biblical scholars because all the law came from the scriptures, and so they really studied the scripture. And so Jesus, knowing that he was a moralist, was going to kind of speak to him in that language. Well, what does the law say? He could have uh, been saying, look on your wrist. Um, um, strict Orthodox Jews at the time wore a little thing called a phylactery around their wrist. It was a little leather box, and it was just filled with with reminders of the law and scriptures. And so, what? What? look in there. What does it say? And, of course, the man's response was, uh, and he's referring to um, Old Testament scriptures here, Deuteronomy 6.4 and Leviticus 19.18 that are repeated here in Luke. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus again said, that's right. Now you can imagine the look on the moralist's face. Yes, I got the right answer because moralists love to have the right answers. Um, uh, and Jesus simply just says, okay, go and live that way now. Go and do that. Have you ever thought about what that life actually looks like? Loving the Lord your God with all your might and all your strength and all your heart and all your soul. I think if we unpacked it, it would sound a little bit more like this. Love God with your whole being all the time. Love him with your passion, your intellect, your physical being, and your spirituality. Surrender it all to him. Everything you have, surrender it to him. And out of absolute commitment, love him every minute of every hour of every day for the rest of your life. When you get a free minute at work and you find your mind wandering, love God so much that you're daydreaming. Uh, you love God so much that your daydreaming is about him and his goodness. Every spare minute you find yourself praying for God to reveal how he can use you in building his kingdom in the world because you love him so much. Do this every minute of every hour of every day for the rest of your life, and you will have eternal life. Oh, and by the way, meet all the needs of your neighbor, people who live by you, people who you interact with on a daily basis. Meet their needs with all the force, passion, and speed with which you meet your own needs. Anticipate their needs, and before they even ask you for help, meet those needs. Wrap your happiness inside your neighbor's happiness. As a matter of fact, do away with the statement, if you need anything, let me know. Because from this day forward, you're going to anticipate their needs so they will never have to ask again. Do both of these every minute, of every hour, of every day, the rest of your life, and you will have eternal life. Hmm. Think about the force of that statement, what that actually means. Um, So on the one hand, Jesus is saying the law is good. It really is describing how to live. This is the way that you should love. This is the way that you should live. Now, you can imagine our neighbor in our neighborhoods, if that happened for like just one week, where all of a sudden the neighbors are aware that there's been trouble at one house and you've got a teenager that's going through some struggle and, you know, police even stopped by last night so they knew there was some trouble. And instead of the whole neighborhood talking about, well, I wonder what's going on at the Jones house house this week, you know, Um, and you know, that kid, he's a real rebel rouser. and, And instead of that kind of thing, what if... The neighbors showed up the next day uh, at the front door and said, "Guys, we just we don't know all that you're going through. We know we're going through some stretches. We've we've several of us have gotten together. We've got we've got meals for you for the rest of the week. And as a matter of fact, we we hired our, our lawn guy. He's going to come by if you don't mind. Uh, going to cut your grass tomorrow. And and then we've hired a um, a lady, a cleaning lady. She's going to come in, you know, on Friday and just take care of your house. We just don't want you to have to stress with that kind of stuff." Um, we know you've got, a, got long, a lot going on. We're going to pray for you. Is there anything, we, anything else that we can do that we don't even know about yet? Um, we want to be very sensitive to that. Can you imagine what would happen in our neighborhoods if we began to operate that way? So Jesus is saying that this is the way it's supposed to work. The problem is, this isn't the way it works, is it? As a matter of fact, he's saying that you on your own, yourself, by your own willpower will never do that. You never have, and you never will. So the reality is, the law should have uh, is formed to give you a picture of what it's supposed to look like, but it's also there so that you realize how broken you are, how limited you are, that there is absolutely no way that you can do this on your own. And so it should have brought the lawyer to a place of realizing, well, there's got to be another way then. There's got to be something else that has to be added to me so that I can actually do it this way. But the lawyer doesn't get that. Um, he's still caught up in his, his working mentality of, okay, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to actually um, pull this off? And so he goes on and says, who is my neighbor? He said he wants to justify himself. Who is my neighbor? I don't think he was really interested all that much in who his neighbor was. I think he wanted to know very clearly who his neighbor wasn't. Um, Now, I know I'm supposed to love some people, but surely it's not everybody. And so could you, like, give me a little printout? Uh, Because I'd like to limit this. I would like to get this kind of pared down so that I would know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Because, you know, no way would you want me to just love everybody. And so, so, so give me um, the, the, the clear target here. It's kind of like daily vitamins, the minimum daily requirement. What is the minimum daily requirement that, that, that I need to follow here? So Jesus, as he often does, tells a story. So he, he goes on in, in verse 30. It says, in reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the house, hands of robbers, They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Keeper, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise story of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure you're very familiar with it. Um, again, we see two different groups of people. We see, we see two on one side who failed the test, and then we see one on the other that passed. The first two that failed are our typical heroes of the culture. The priest and the Levite, they were considered kind of the higher echelon of culture. They, they were on the top shelf, top of the pecking order. Um, and they were, they were two moralists, of course, Jesus is saying that they limited, the reason that they failed is they limited um, um, who they loved and how much they loved, that that's the reason that they failed, is that they limited who they loved and how much they loved. Now, usually in a parable, you'll see this kind of flow um, of the story. And if you were going to use these characters, you would have seen a priest, you would have seen a Levite, and then they usually would have put in Um, somebody that, that, uh, even person that was asking the question so that they could really relate to it, so they would have followed it with a lawyer. But Jesus had the audacity to pick an enemy of the Jews, Samaritans. Most of you know um, that they were hated enemies. It's not unlike what's going on in the Middle East right now, some of the regions that that certain um, ethnic cultures hate others, not because they've ever met them, but just because of, of who they are. And so this would have, this would have been scandalous um, that Jesus put the hero of the story as their enemy. So the priest and the Levite limited the who. Um, it's one thing, again, to love those that are like us, that look like us and hang out with us and seem like they've got some of the same kind of belief systems. But a stranger and an enemy is a different thing. So Jesus is saying that my followers will will love and care for anyone that is in need. Any neighbor anywhere at any time with all the compassion that they have. So in this story the Samaritan reaches across immense racial and political and religious barriers to love this person. He stops and loves his enemy. He also cared for somebody that to a certain extent was responsible for their circumstances, and this is troubling for us. It, Jesus talked clearly about this road from Jericho to Jerusalem. It was considered one of the most dangerous roads in the region. So, actually, you were f- a fool to even be on this road by yourself. And so, it would have been easy to think, "Why was he doing? What was he doing out there in the first place? He shouldn't have been on this road." But again, it's, that, that didn't limit um, the, the, the heart of, of, um, of the Samaritan. Um, again, it's one thing to respond to like, tor- the tornado victims. We all, our heart immediately goes out to them because we all know, particularly in this region, this could have easily been any of us, right? Um, did you see the, the pictures of those that were just happening a couple of days ago where there were like three tornadoes kind of dancing, <laughs> you know, and they were coming together and splitting apart? And we all know that this could have taken out any of us. And so our heart leaps at that kind of, of a thing because people could not have, have, um, have helped this. But what if you had a friend? Have you ever, What do we do in the circumstances where you've got a friend who who's worked for a company for a long time, and, you know, they've done well, and, but they've always lived this really high lifestyle. And it seems like they always live a little bit beyond themselves, but they've been able to keep up with it just because they've got a good job. And then all of a sudden, they get laid off. But they've not been saving. They've not been planning. They've been living paycheck by check, paycheck. And so by the next week, they're in trouble. They're about to lose their house. What do we do in those circumstances when it looks like people have done something to... To cause their situation, so the second thing is not only did the priest and the Levite miss out on who to love, but they missed out on how much to love they they uh, they they weren't willing to step out to those that uh, to somebody that was different and they weren't willing to take the risk of giving their all. this parable oftentimes is is taught that the The reason that these guys didn't cross the road to check out uh, the need was that they thought that that he was dead. And if a priest and a Levite touched something that was dead, that they would be unclean. But I think it was actually more simple than that. I think, once again, this is a dangerous road. Um, It looks like the guy isn't going to make it. And so it's just the smart thing to just get out of here. We need to to keep moving because there's probably robbers that are close. And so how do do we get through this? Um, Interestingly enough, who do you think in the culture at the time was responsible to take care of the the sick and the needy? It's the priest and the Levite, right? That was actually their job. They were professional religious people. And so certainly they should be the ones to do this, right? They're professionals. Um, In our private practice, we have a the name of our practice is a Life Connection Counseling Center. Um, but our legal name is Professional Christian Counseling. And so when I signed up for our uh, account many years ago, I got a debit card. And you know how on your card sometimes they can't print the whole name on there? And so on my debit card, it's the only thing they could get on there was Professional Christ. Um, <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing, actually. <laughs> I kind of have to hand it to them, and hopefully they'll swipe it really quick. <laughs> Um, anyway, has nothing to do with the story, but, um, the, uh, the point is that even if it's Jesus is saying is, even if this is your role, even if it's your job, that is not going to be enough for you to have the kind of care and compassion and love for others. Something else has to happen. The rules always will miss the mark. This Samaritan takes great steps, um, great risks, steps all across all kinds of boundaries, takes great risk at his own personal cost, stops and takes the person, puts it on his own donkey, takes him to an inn. And in essence, in today's um, um, uh, understanding, he basically left his credit card with him and said, do whatever it takes to take care of him and just keep adding it um, to the bill. And you can imagine it took him probably an extra day or two to get home. So he walks in the front door, and his wife says, I was worried about you. I thought you were going to be home a couple of days ago. What happened? Well, I was—I you know, came across this guy that was almost dead in the road, and I had to help him out. And And, you know, I know we've been saving for, you know, that, Extra thing that we wanted to get, but we're gonna have to wait on that because I just I just knew I had to take care of him. Well, who was this? Well, it was one of our enemies. What? You gave up what we've been saving for to take care of one of our enemies? So he was willing to take all the risk, no holds barred, not holding anything back, to take care of someone that was in need. So. The implication here of what Jesus is saying, that his followers act this way. They're willing to do this for anyone that they come across. Why? Because people are God's greatest treasure. This is the way that we have been loved. If something happens inside of us, then we will love others this way. So the lawyer realizes after he's having this conversation with Jesus, he realizes what's going on here. And you'll notice he can't even say his name. He can't even say the word um, but he says, well, I guess the one that that had mercy on him. Couldn't call him the Samaritan. He just said, I guess the one that he had mercy on. Um, but you have to think that the lawyer had to be wondering, well, how do you do this? Possibly by now he was coming to a place to realize that, gosh, I know I'm not this good. I know I don't have this kind of heart. I know that would be hard for me to do. So again, in every parable, we generally we see where um, the audience can relate to somebody in the story. So who's the lawyer supposed to relate to? Is it supposed to be the priest and the Levite? Those would be the ones that would be most like him, but obviously you don't want to emulate them. They're the ones that obviously failed in this situation. So it must be the Samaritan, right? I think that's how this this, uh, has often been taught, that we're just supposed to be more like the good Samaritan. This has kind of become a moral code in our culture. If somebody you know, it gets stopped along the road, then well you you're a good person, you stop and take care of them. But I don't I don't think that's who Jesus wanted him to connect with. Because that would just add to his moralism. That would just feed into that. Well I guess I've just got to be better next time. I've got to make sure that when a situation like this happens that I do the right thing, that I that that I just sacrifice more. Then I will be acceptable. Then I can earn eternal life and I can be uh, received i don't think that's um, what 's going on here. I believe that Jesus is saying that to love like this, you have to identify with the man in the road. You have to get this to connect with this kind of power that can take over us. We have to imagine ourselves on the road we 're beaten, suffering on the edge of death, and just barely see out a little slits in our eyes because the the, the, our face is swollen we see these good people these religious leaders kind of off in the distance and they just keep going past us they give up on us because they thought that we would never make it um, but then your enemy the one that you hated stopped got off his donkey bandaged your wounds carried you to safety paid all your medical bills and helped nurse you back to health Imagine you were one that got this free act of grace. How does that change us? I've been amazed over the years of working with people that have gone through really difficult circumstances. They've, they've slipped across the line in all kinds of different ways and made messes of their life. And I've seen an interesting transformation in them. Um, if you had known them before, you probably could have labeled them in the moralist camp. Then they go through a failure and grace um, was applied to them by somebody, and they received this grace, and they begin to think, gosh, you're, you're going to forgive me. You're willing to love me. I've seen this moralism, this pride just begin to, to, to fade away, and many, many of them would say to me, gosh, I was so judgmental before. You know, I had a hard time. I wanted everybody to, you know, this is the way we're supposed to live. And all of a sudden now, their heart was full of grace for others. And so it's only in that that something really changes um, in our own life. So each of us have been on the road. Our works have failed us. And the one that the world despised and will eventually kill, the hero of our story, came to us on the road. He had compassion on us. He owed us nothing, but he gave us everything to bind our wounds and save us. Only when we see Jesus as our good Samaritan will we be transformed from the inside. Will something happen on the inside so that we then want to carry this to others? Only when we realize how bad a shape that we were in. If we think that, you know, I'm, I'm really a good person, I'm nice to people, I'm caring, I'm not a bad guy, you know, I deserve this if we think that, it'll never happen in us. We will never have this kind of grace and mercy for others. But when we realize that we did not deserve this, and someone who owed us nothing um, offered this to us. So when we ask you to participate in the things that we're about here, when we ask you to give in one of our monthly outreaches, or, or we simply ask you to come and sacrifice some time and be kind of behind the scenes and help serve the community and whether that's in a classroom or whether that's standing in front of the door, don't respond to that because we're just asking. Because, well, I guess, you know, they're asking. I guess I should help them out. I guess this is a good thing to do. Um, I'll feel better about myself because I do these things. Don't think about it that way. I want you to think about maybe the family that's coming to the church for the very first time. And they're a little bit anxious about this. They're not real comfortable in social settings, but they have this longing to get involved in church. Um, they've been out for a while, and they're not sure how they're going re- how, how to be received. And they, they pull in, the, dr- in the, the drive out here, and the first thing is they can't even figure out what door to come in. You know, any of you experience that here? Um, and they finally figure out that the back door is the front door, and, um, and they walk in, and all of a sudden somebody greets them with a smile somebody embraces them, um, we're really glad that you're here. And it's not just perfunctory. It's genuine. You, are, you all are a genuine people, a loving people. What might happen um, in their life? Or maybe a, a woman that's gone through a tremendous loss in her life, and she's just bleeding. She's just barely gotten herself here. Um, what might happen if she walks in the door, and somebody's just willing to take an extra moment with her, and take a little bit of time. She's got a couple kids in tow, and can I, can I walk you into the kids area? Um, think about that need when you consider this, or think about the the kids in the classroom. You know, I don't know how many of you were raised in, in church, but I remember as a little kid, I, I always thought it was so cool that grown-ups would be in our class, that they thought that we were that important. Uh, it made me feel special. It made me feel valuable, and that somebody would sit down and, and read a book to me or play a game to, uh, with me and pat me on the head and say that I was a blessing. Or, or maybe it's a little boy that doesn't have a dad in the, uh, in the home, and all of a sudden he comes into the classroom, and there's a man there that looks him in the eyes and, and actually remembers his name uh, the next time. What might happen transformative um, in that life? So yes, we are asking you, this message is not just about tonight, but yes, we are asking you to help and step in for the summer. One, because we need it. Um, we, We really, your community needs you. But secondly, we believe that when you do these things, something transforms in you. You become more like Him, and that's the whole point. So even beyond tonight and getting involved in this, um, remember the kind of love that you were loved with. This radical love that was, where, where nothing was held back. And you know what that looks like because you know how disobedient all of us are. Yet he continues to love us. He continues to pursue us. He doesn't ever, ever throw us away. It says nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. I don't care what you've done, what you think about. He will not stop loving you. Um, is that the way that we love each other? Um, or if somebody does something, we kind of write them off pretty fast. Remember, that's the kind of love that you've been loved with. And so let's let that form us. Let's let that transform us. So when we care about each other, we look more like him. Why don't you stand your feet this morning?